Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast. Happy July 4th, wherever you are. What a what a shit show this year's July 4th is. What a shit show 2020 is. Unbelievable. But anyway, uh, we are soldiering on Guitar Wank. Here we go. This is episode uh, 217. I believe 217 we've uh, this is the last one with uh, Eric Singer we did three I tried to get as much as I could out of Eric and he was so uh, awesome he he just hung which was fantastic very very cool great dude uh, thank you Eric again mate you're, you're, you're a great bloke and uh, a mighty fine drummer and uh, lots of great stories so uh, I wanted to finish this episode and give get this one out to you guys Uh, we've had a lot of feedback on this I mean Kiss man who didn't grow up with Kiss at some point in your life as a kid at least you know and some of the great guitarists he's played with touring with Brian May and Gary Moore um, Tony Iommi I mean how the fuck yeah that's pretty cool shit so uh, we were super stoked to have him on the show and um, awesome and I didn't have to put up with Bruce and Scott (laughs) <laughs> it was it was my show, baby. It was all me, me and uh, me and Eric. <laughs> uh, but if you do miss Bruce and you miss Scotty, there's plenty of other episodes you can go find them. But uh, uh, remember, Bruce live at five. Grumps YouTube channel. He's got his own TV show. Netflix. If you're out there and you're looking for content, Grumps TV. I mean, seriously, he's got like a whole season of that shit now. So go check it out live at five on Wednesdays and Saturdays. It's a good laugh, man. And he does, of course, Bruce is playing guitar, so he kicks ass as well. You know, go really cool. Another great thing that Bruce is doing, besides saving the planet at uh, one guitar lick at a time, he's doing uh, Bruce Foreman's Guitar Wank Minute. And you can only get these Guitar Wank Minute videos if you're a member of Patreon. What is Patreon, you say? Well, it's a way that Guitar Wank can keep going. Because in these crazy times, we uh, we need a little help to keep this podcast going. With, with how many shows? 200 and... Yeah, 217, right? So uh, this, this helps and it just supports us and what we're doing. Um, and then when we go to Vegas and do all the hookers and blow and stuff it just it's it's there it's for us to you know really take advantage of that so you're helping us immensely okay just go there and do it (laughs) but yeah bruce is doing these great videos one minute videos and i I, it's just awesome some some of us are busy we have lives we have kids for all you guitar players out there once you have kids that's it baby (laughs) Guitar Hero days are gone because you got to fucking go deal with the kids. You can't drown them. Well, you can, but you'll get caught. So you can't do that. You can't give them away. So you got to deal with them. And sometimes you got to put the guitar down. Yeah, it's tough. So you don't have time to sit and go through episodes and episodes of tutorials to try and get better. But Bruce will give you 60 seconds, baby. 60 seconds. And you will walk away with something. I can get that under my fingers. It may take me another 30 years, but I can do it. That's how awesome it is. So uh, check it out. Bruce Foreman, Wank Minute. I think we keep changing the name every time I introduce it, but it doesn't matter. You get the idea. It's 60 seconds, baby. Go to Patreon, sign up. I think um, you can do it for a dollar a month. I don't think you can save kittens for that amount of money. A dollar a month. Or three dollars a month. I think it's. I I'll check. I think I'm. If it's not a dollar a month, I'll make it a dollar a month. That's nothing. If I can get all thirty of you guys to sign up to Patreon, that's thirty dollars a month to keep Guitar Wank going. That's awesome. That's all we need. So do it. Go to guitarwank.com. Check out our new website. You know how much money that took. Unbelievable. So go check out our new website. You can donate. Hey, you can just give us lots of money if you want. Donate on Guitar Wank website. You can find out, find all the older episodes. They're easier to find now. We're on Stitcher. We're on um, iTunes. We're fucking everywhere, baby. You can't get away from this shit. Um, and I think we're going to be on YouTube too, which is even more amazing. So it's all happening. 
I mean, what else are we doing in these times of crisis, right? Listening guitar, guitar wank. Ah! All right, so there you go. So that's all I got my promotion. Scott, what's Scott doing? Does anyone care? Of course we care. He's teaching. He's uh, he's dicking around. He's watching Breaking Bad, I believe. He's uh, he's dressing in drag. He does a bunch of cool shit. But um, yeah, but we'll get him back on the show shortly. Uh, so there you go. It's a holiday weekend in America, and everyone's stuck indoors. What a shit show. Ah, good on you. Good on you, mate. But um, everywhere is a shit show. Australia is uh, closing down again because fucking people aren't listening. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Just, it's it's not for you. It's for everyone around you. It's pretty simple. We, we do this shit. We'll be back on track before we know it. It's either that or we're all going to, uh, the week will die and we'll just move on. It's it's bad, man. But um, yeah, just do it. Let's let's all pull together. So uh, <laughs> there you go. I what you said. Oh, shut up! God, she's so rude. All right, all right, enough. Let's get on with Mr. Eric Singer. Eric, thank you again, mate. Uh, a, a pleasure. And um, he's going to get us some other rockers to come in and talk on the show. I feel I feel like this is more my area of. Uh, I don't know if Bruce and Scott will be into some of these players, but I am. I love all the stories, the dirt. So uh, I'll talk to Eric and see if I can get uh, a few of his mates to come in. Maybe we can get Paul Stanley or Gene. Yeah, I don't see that happening. But anyway, we could try. We could try. So uh, maybe Gene can get me Eddie Van Halen. There you go. Connecting the dots, ladies and gentlemen. Gene Simmons to Eddie Van Halen through Eric. See? You see why we think? We're always thinking ahead of ourselves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, be safe, be well, have a happy July 4th. Maybe just sit around and listen to guitar wank and drink a shitload or do whatever you do, play some. Just be safe. Look after your family and uh, let's let's all get through this shit and uh, on with our lives. So, um, all right, we'll uh, catch you all next week. Thank you for listening. You didn't fast forward and now you regret it. Like, fuck you, Troy. You took all that time away from me. And now I could have fast forward. Sorry. Sorry. All right. All right, Eric. Let's get into it, mate.
you did me a favor by getting rid of me. Because it really, had they not done that, it led me to the next situations that put me on the right path and a much better, healthier, productive path. You know, I mean, I've always told people, I'm not, I'm not trying to be some rich rock star. I just want to, I just always wanted to play music and be in a band and, and you know, I want to be in the most successful situations I can be in because I want to make a living in the music business. And whether we like it or not, it's called music business, not music friends. It's yeah. not, it's not as much as you want to hang out with your friends and, and make that a big part of it and have that uh, a component if you don't treat it like a business, somebody else will, and they will take advantage of you. And yeah. I've seen it too many times. Yeah, I mean, you've you've worked. You've mentioned some managers. I mean, Doc was. I mean, these guys were notorious, right? Like for managers and like they were big time guys. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, Doc. But I, Doc, I like Doc. Out of all the managers I've worked with, and I've worked with some that were all cool. Yeah. I mean, I get it. They're business guys. They're they're gonna always put business first. They're in it to make money. Yeah. I mean, look at my agenda is Eric, right? Of course. My agenda is I got to take care of Eric. So Doc's agenda is going to be Doc. That's understandable. But Doc's a, a cool guy. He's ni- He's very nice to everybody. He tries to help people out if he can. If he can help you out in a situation, he'll do. He'll try to do the best he can to try to make it good for you. He's, he's a lot of fun to be around because he's really funny. But I think Doc's... A, a pretty uh, fair, decent guy. Yeah. Out of all the managers I've worked with, he's been, my, to me, the best one and my favorite one. Right, yeah. I mean, really, I generally can say that. Wow, man. And he's got good instincts. He's got, a, I mean, his track record proves it. Yeah. He really yeah, oh my does. God, yeah, what a tra- track record. He definitely has good instincts about a lot of stuff. I, yeah. I, that's what I like about him. Damn. So, I mean, God, you've seen the world... How many times now you've been around the world? It's it's got to be a lot. A lot of times, but I, there's there's still a lot of places I never got to go. You know, never been never been to the Middle East. You know, or like, you know, you know, United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia. You know, uh, you've been to Kazakhstan. I went to no, Kazakhstan. No, none of those places. <laughs> been to Russia a bunch of times. Right. You know, all the European and Eastern European bloc countries and yeah. Mediterranean, all South America. Never been to. I've been through. Taiwan and, and went to South China Sea, but never mainland China yeah. or Korea. So there's a lot of places I still hoping I'd love to one day be able to play some of those places. Like do I've you, been to Malaysia, but I never got to play there. Right? Do you still Singapore. enjoy the travel? I enjoy going. I do enjoy travel if it's a new place. Right. Because how many times? I mean, look, like I love going to Australia. Love Japan. But you've done it a lot. A lot. Yeah, a lot of times. Yeah. I've probably been, I don't know how many times in Japan, 20 or something? Wow. Same Australia, what, 30 times? I don't know. Damn. Um, Europe, same thing, you know, 20, 30 yeah. times, something. I don't know. I don't even know. I'd have to try to figure it out to count it. But what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of times people go, oh, don't you go to these places and go look at this and go look at that? I'm like, I did all that already. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did, you know... I went to Edinburgh Castle, you know, years ago, and I went to the Louvre and, and Eiffel Tower and Notre Dame Cathedral and um, Palace Versailles Palace. And I mean, once you've done those things, not that they're not cool to go to another time, uh, if you want to maybe take somebody that hadn't gone there and show them those experiences, but after a while you've done those things, it's like, nah, I just want to stay focused on, I'm, I'm trying to get through, my goal is to spend 22 hours of the day for the two hours on stage. Yeah. It's really about that. Yeah. And I know it seems very simplified and a very workmanlike approach, but I've realized that to, you know, sustain that over a long period of time, you got to be disciplined like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's- Especially as you get older, because, you know, your body does, it's harder to sing, it's harder to do everything. As I mean, I'm 62 now. So you're 62? You, yeah. So, Damn, dude, you look good. Oh, thank I you. I would never have picked 62. So, I would have thought 55. Oh, okay. Thank you. So the thing is, to do that as you get older, no matter what you might want to think, your mind might be telling you, oh, I still feel really great. I'm really young. But your body's going, <laughs> fuck you. F you. Yeah. So I found that just by being very disciplined and... You know, I know it works for me, and, and everyone's different. Might, yeah. what, what works for me might not be the right way for you. Yeah. But I found if I really do the stick to my plan and stick to my routine and be disciplined, I can do it pretty consistently. Because I've always maintained that if you can, you want to be, 
you want to be good on a bad day and great on a better day, you yeah, know? Yeah. So your consistency is no matter how sick or how, if you're even having a rough gig, you still want to be at a high level, be really good no yeah. matter what. And that's what I strive for. And, I mean, when you guys go out, how long are you out for? I mean, you guys go out a long time, right? Um, you know, six, eight weeks, nine weeks, ten okay. weeks, something like that. It depends. Um, this, well, this, last year we did a lot of gigs, and that was tough, yeah. you know. Um, and it would have been a lot this year as well until this got shut down. Excuse me. We came home, like, I think we can't, we will postpone the last two or three shows because... I don't like to say canceled because last year we postponed a few shows and we already made two of those up on this first leg and we were going to make up all those previous shows in this first leg until, you know, pretty much, you know, everything got shut down. We were, we had played um, a show in Texas and then we went to, I think it was Oklahoma or something, Tulsa or whatever, and we were in a hotel for a day off and we are watching basketball and that's when they started announcing that they were going to stop all the games after that night and all of a sudden I got a call from Doc. He goes, Eric... Pack your bags, we're leaving in an hour, we're going home. Wow. And so we just didn't do the last couple shows. So yeah. we didn't really miss that much of this first leg. Right. But we were supposed to be in South America right now. You did Staples Center, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were supposed to go to South America, and then we would have gone to Europe in the summer, and then um, back to the, some U.S. stuff in the fall, and then the Kiss Cruise. But the Kiss Cruise got postponed to 2021. Right. So I don't know... Um, if we'll do anything at all later this year, that still remains to be seen. I think nobody knows the, the answers. Everyone's no. going to have their speculation and say, oh, I don't think they'll do this and that till then. But you know, as we've seen, one minute they're saying this, this, and this, and then we see, I mean, look, people keep saying, listen to the science. The science has been wrong a lot and way yeah. off a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and as, although it depends on who you ask, they'll say, oh, no, this guy's right. No, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> no. Go look what they said. Look at these people, what they said a month ago, two months ago, and they didn't say that. They no. said complete opposite. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all over the map. And well, people make things up as they go along, even though they're supposed to be professionals and scientists. It doesn't mean. They know. No, look, at, in baseball, if you bat 300, you're a great hitter. That means three times out of 10 times you hit the ball. Three out of 10. Yeah. You'd hope the batting average is better in science, but it's not. I mean, everyone keeps saying, we can't do anything until we have a vaccine. Well, I ask people, you know, I, I look up a lot of stuff. I do a lot of reading because I don't like people to be, I want to be a, a high information voter or a more informed person if I can. So I try to research something if I don't know it. And everyone's saying, well, if they have a vaccine, that'll be okay. I said, right. do, you, do you know what the, the, the success rates of vaccines are? Not Between good. 33 and 50%. Yeah. Fifty percent on the high end, right? Thirty-three on the low end. That's the rate. I mean, people keep saying we have to have it till we have a cure. They didn't. We don't have a. We still don't have a cure for AIDS, MERS, SARS, Ebola, H one N one. We we don't have any cure for cures for all. any other stuff or a vaccine. There's yeah. no AIDS vaccine. Yeah. Now, have we found medications and stuff that can? people make living with it? Yeah, my brother would be alive if right. if, if my if my brother got infected today. He would still be alive, yeah, be you know. Fine. Or if he would have had a lot of money, like Magic Johnson, where you can have the best care. Look how long he's lived. Yeah, yeah. And he got sick before my brother did. Wow. So my brother died in '94, and uh, so, you know, and the singer that I was in the band, Badlands, he died of AIDS too. Wow. The year before my brother. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was a, it was for the most part, it was pretty much a death sentence if you got AIDS back yeah, then. Yeah. Yeah. You know now. People live with it. Yeah. Yeah. I and know. that's and I think the same thing will probably look with this. none of us know for sure, but I would assume based on what we've seen from other viruses and pandemics, we'll find ways to find things that help us live you know, live with it. Yeah. And deal with it. Just like people have dealt with flus and that they get every year. I mean yeah. and other things that come along. I mean <laughs> How how were you looking? I mean, Kiss Army is you have the most amazing fans, right? Unbelievable, They're fucking hardcore. unbelievable. Yeah, it's another level, another, right? I mean, and and I will tell you, it's a double edged sword because some of them are some of the greatest people. A lot of them become my personal friends, and I, you know, love them to death. They're great, and other ones, they're a little. A little, crazy. Too, little too out there right. for me. Yeah. And I've seen that with other bands too. Alice Cooper had, and Queen, they had fans yeah. like that too, to varying degrees. But not with the mass and intensity of what I've seen with uh, the Kiss 
some of the fans. Were you, were you guys, how was your, um, your idea being at that level, looking out at the music industry before this COVID stuff hit? What did it, did the whole industry, how it's changed so much, did it affect Kiss that much? Or because you guys are so massive and how much is such of a following? Meaning, what? as in just, you know, just how. What do you mean? Downloading digital me- marketing, oh, albums, releasing, making well, that's money. How, well, the one, as we all know, the main, main business model that's changed the most is that you used to tour to support a record that right. you made. Now you just make a record to give you a reason to tour right. if you do new music because yeah. people don't buy it. Yeah. So it's just like Doc McGee's always told me, Eric, when you tour for a band, you have to think, like, what's the story? Like, why are you touring? Like, what, what is your story this time? What are you touring? Oh, we have a new record. Right. Or we have a new stage show, some new technology. Or we're doing a greatest hits thing. Or we're celebrating 10 years of our first record. Whatever it is. Yeah. You have to have some kind of story that you're... Because otherwise, you're just... It becomes Groundhog's Day. Right. Yeah. It goes back to my point I made earlier about people wanting emotionally, sometimes their favorite artist or band to stay in a certain era in perpetuity. And it's like... You're not the same person you were 20 years ago. Why are you expecting your favorite band or your favorite athlete that you know you don't stay young forever? And things people are constantly changing and evolving, and we all get old. Yeah, that's just life, you know. It's a cycle of life, and I think if people can learn to look at and 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 at the end of the day, it's real simple. If you don't like something, you vote with your wallet and you vote by how you participate. If you don't like something, don't go to it. Don't buy the records or don't buy tickets or don't go to a sporting event. Don't support the team. Don't buy the merchandise. That's how you vote. And maybe if enough people don't buy something and don't support it, maybe they'll think about, hey, maybe we need to do something different. Maybe the fans are speaking that they want this instead. Mm. And we've seen that happen with bands sometimes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because your, your, your fan base is your livelihood. I mean, you could fuck, man. What are those Kiss Cruises like? That's got to be just nuts, right? Um, yeah, but, but it's actually, I mean, in all honesty, it's not a vacation for right. me. It's, no. The only good thing is for everybody and the crew is that you're in one venue the whole time. They right. could, uh, usually we do one show outdoors and we do like two shows indoors. So they only have to set up the gear like two times. Right. Um, they don't have to move gear around as much. It's, it's a lot... Um, so they get a bit of a break. Right. But the band, we always have to do uh, fan activities and stuff. Oh, my God. You know? So there's never really any off days. If you're not playing, then you're doing some fan activity. Are you, are you guys uh, always in makeup or those days? No, no, no. Those Just days are gone, right? Only the days we... Only the shows that we play in costume. Right. We'll play, like, without makeup, unplugged, or or, or non-makeup show. Yeah. And then usually two times in makeup. Right. And it's a five-day cruise. But it's a lot of work. I mean, but mind you, I think a lot of it, maybe that's just how I choose to d- view it. I treat, I, I treat what I do in a workmanlike way, not to make it sound not fun or boring or anything like that. I guess I just take it kind of more serious. Yeah, you're there to do a job. You know, I imagine you know Kenny Arnoff, right? Yeah. Kenny, yeah. I, I've, I hung out with Kenny about and it, he seems like he's got that work ethic kind of like you it's well you take it like you know yeah. you, well you have to realize that as much as it's fun and it's a different way of making a living it's still your job of how you it's how you earn a living how you make a living yeah. so you have to look at it from that point of view um, I believe you know but I'm not saying that everyone should do it the same way I can only tell people what, what I believe has worked for me and I've always tried to think that well hey if it works for me there's a lot of general rules I think that apply to all of us yeah you know yeah. man you've done some crazy ass shit have you ever thought about writing a book uh you know sometimes people always say that but I, you know I always tell people my book is between my ears and those are my memories and I don't really feel like I you Need know to share it well, it's not that I don't... I'll share it if I'm sitting around talking, telling stories. I'll tell anybody anything. Yeah. But I don't want to publicly air, you know, people's dirty laundry or or schisms and things that may have happened with different situations through the years. I don't want to talk bad about people. You know, you learn, you learn lessons from all the things you've done and throwing people under a bus just because you didn't get along with or things didn't work out. It's, it's, you know, it ends up coming off like sour grapes or spilt milk. And even though you don't intend it to be that way, you're just telling your story or how you feel. Yeah. Um, it's, it, I think people, unless you're going to really th- 
talk dirt and talk the, talk the real shit about the real truth of everything that happened, at least from your perspective, you got to be willing to be salacious and really tell it the way it is. And if you're going to make it sugar-coated, no, it's not... It's not really to a lot to the average person. They're gonna go. Oh, this is kind of sedate and boring. Yeah. So if you really tell it like it is, yeah, it can be pretty interesting and maybe fun. But you're gonna come off sounding like you're talking people's personal business. That you know, usually I'm not saying there's a code, but I think you should have a certain respect to go. Okay, whatever happened between us, it kind of happened between us. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you saw somebody do something, maybe that you didn't. That was a little bit. Yeah. questionable you know see everything's I mean everything's changed with touring especially for you guys could you come through that that amazing rock and roll time where back then people would do shit and it wasn't recorded now you do oh, everything yeah. is recorded oh, everything's yeah. picture you are documented on everything you do so oh yeah that, those I've... days are kind of gone if you want to have a career I guess right yeah yeah well yeah. I just think if you want to keep you know I think you're better off to keep yourself private and keep, you know, I'm not saying have a dual persona or a public persona versus private, but, you know, when I go out to play, I, you know, if you're going to go out there and be in public, you have to realize that you're publicly accessible yeah. and don't complain, ex- except that that kind of is part and parcel with with that particular type of gig or job, what you do. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be a public figure, athlete, musician, entertainer, whatever, it kind of goes with it. Don't complain about it. And if you don't want to be around it, don't expose yourself to those right. things. Yeah. You know, I'm not a real social person in the sense that I don't go, you know, I don't do social media. I'm not on Twitter. So anybody that ever listens, I don't have, there's no Eric Singer Twitter or Instagram or any of that stuff. Those are, any of those that are out there, they're fake. Yeah. I, I have nothing to do with them. Um, I have a, a Facebook one that I keep private. With just some of my friends that I know. Yeah. I'm not into that. I don't, you know, like I tell people, I know everything I did. I don't need to talk about it or brag about it. I'm fine. I mean, I know what I did and that's good enough for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'd rather just, when I, if I'm going to be at a show or in the, in the environment around the fans, I'm fully aware that your public domain, you got to be cool yeah. and be, um, be approachable and be sociable with the people and be, and be nice and do the right thing. Be respectable. But if you don't want to deal with it, if you're not in the mood, stay in your room. Yeah. Or yeah. stay home. Do you um? Do you miss? Do you get to play many clubs, smaller gigs? And do you? Is there anything you prefer over the stadium gigs? Like I like theater. That? I like theaters. Yeah, yeah. I always, I you know, I think it goes back to me really liking to see bands in theaters because when you were a kid, to me theaters were the optimum gigs to see your you know when a when when a band would come to town in cleveland i'd always hope oh i hope they play the allen theater because that was my favorite venue yeah because it was a lower stage you could get right up to the stage i think it held i don't know a couple thousand people music hall was also similar but it had kind of a little bit of a like orchestra pit between the front row and the stage so it wasn't right up there so even though it was my second favorite venue um it was still cool because it was small yeah. I saw Van Halen there. I think it holds oh, 2,500. So those are the kind of places. I saw Queen there too. Those are the kind of places you want to see is those theaters. So me, from a personal level, I, I guess it's, it really comes down to me preferring those venues as a spectator. So playing them... I, and I think you can see the people better, you know. Yeah. Um, even the last row in the balcony, you can kind of see the whole crowd. Yeah. You get yeah. in a bigger place, everybody becomes... It just comes a wash, like like right? ants, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like ants, and I mean, yeah, you could feel the energy and see the amount of people, but you don't really see the faces, yeah. you know. It's a big difference. We played in, in Kazakhstan, and we played to one hundred and fifty thousand, and it was just it just went on forever, and it, it just was it was weird to yeah. play that large of a crowd. I know it's there's a. There's a certain power and electricity to it, but there's also, to me, a certain disconnect. Disconnect, yeah. Because you're so the stages are usually very high, high far, away. far away. I like like the Cleveland Agora. That was one of the most famous clubs in America, and that place, and it had a lower stage. Yeah. So I saw a lot of concerts there, and that was a great place. It only held about a thousand people. Right. And that's a great place to see a band. Everybody played there. You know, Rush, Bowie. Um, see, ACDC, you everybody, saw all, man. everybody played that club. Wow. ACDC played that club. I yeah. remember. So, I, uh, 
have kiss you guys have done a bunch of opening or, or like touring with opening acts and other double headers and stuff like yeah, we that did a, well, we did a double tour with motley Crue in 2012 we did with um def leppard in 2014 yeah and uh, they did one with aerosmith i think in oh three right or oh two oh three i wasn't in the band then right I did 01 part of 02, and then they brought Peter back because Ace quit. Right. And so Peter did that tour with Aerosmith, and then I came back in 04, and I've been back since 04. So Tommy and I have been both together in the band. This is the longest con continuous lineup. lineup since 2004, so 16 years. This version of the band is the longest version of the band wow. ever. Man, you are, you are such a rarity to, to be in such a high-profile band like that and have that long career and... And you guys are up to this point still doing it. I'm, I, you know, look, I don't, you know, people always say, try to say that people, when they want to say people are lucky, it, there's no such thing as luck. It's opportunity meets preparedness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was given these opportunities that manifested or presented themselves along the way, and I was able to take advantage of yeah. them by being prepared. Because yeah. there's times I auditioned for bands and I didn't get the gig. Yeah. You know, I remember I, I went down and jammed with Ozzy when they were looking for a drummer in 1985, and I didn't get the gig. I jammed with White Snake in '85, also <laughs> when when they when they before they did the big album yeah. in '87. Yeah. I went down and jammed with John Sykes and Coverdale and Neil Murray, and um, um, and they ended up having Ainsley Dunbar do the record, and then Tommy Aldridge ended up being in the band. But so I've gone down and didn't get the gig. It happens, yeah, you know. Yeah. You should never be have too much of an ego to admit that either you've been fired. I've been fired from gigs. I didn't get gigs, and then other times I got the gig. Yeah. And I always found this though. That's the point I'm making is that the gigs that I did get, I remember it. I was always prepared. I knew the material. So then it was really about going in there and just playing. And you know, presenting yourself so they can get a, a sense or a vibe of how you are as a person, whether they, you know, dig your your, your energy or whatever. Yeah. But but I was the gigs that I got, I knew the material and I was really well prepared. Yeah. The times that I didn't get the gig, I didn't know the material. Right. So I learned valuable lessons there. Make sure you're, if you're going to take the time to go to if you're going to do an audition, don't just kind of go. Oh, I'm just going to wing it. You know. Unless somebody's just offering you the gig and then saying you can learn the material and rehearse, that's different. But if you have to do a cattle call or an addition, you better go in there. Like I said earlier, I think you need to show people, hey, I took the time to learn your material and I learned it from the record, so at least it'll be familiar with what they might have been used to hearing or playing with. Yeah. And then if they ask you to say, hey, can you do a little bit more or don't be afraid to cut loose, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a good way to do it. Good way to do it. Did you have you got? Um, were you doing any side projects? Were you doing other things on the side? Well, much, Paul Stanley has that Soul Station band that I'm playing with him in that. That's yeah. that's. Um, I guess you would call it a side project. We haven't done a lot of gigs. We've did stuff on and off. We did it. We have a record which, I think it's. I can't say for sure, but I think I know it's almost done, right. and it might be done. I haven't asked Paul because I know it. It's got to be. If it's not done, it's got to be 95 or 98% done. Maybe it's just a matter of Paul doing a few revisions on mixes that he wanted something different, you know, with levels or wanted something added or taken out that we might have put down on tape. But I know all the material has been recorded um, as we went along. We, Paul wrote, and he wrote some cool songs for it, which I was very, actually I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised. I mean, Paul's a good songwriter, but I didn't know how we would write this style of music, but it seems like he'd write a song, we go, oh, that's pretty cool. Then he'd come up with another idea, and originally he was only going to put maybe two or three originals. I think now we've got five. Wow. And I said to him, I go, Paul, i got to admit, Every time you write a song, when you've come up with another song, it, it's like a, it's like a little better. You keep getting so maybe you're just getting acclimated to a style or a genre of writing so for this. So what, what's the style? More soul? More like, yeah, like old Motownish style. Wow. But like, I'd say more like '70s Motown. Yeah. Like right because Motown we think of like the in the '60s, but it kind of morphed into a there was a soul sound of into the '70s, well up to the mid '70s. It was really oh, that yeah, way. I'd love to hear. So it, it sounds, sounds awesome. more. A lot of it sounds like that. There's some really cool songs, really cool. Yeah. So these guys aren't stopping. Well, I think you know the plan was to go until next year, which was going to be the last show in July of next year. But obviously, all this stuff got put on hold. So I would just say it's like everyone's kind of hit the pause button. Yeah. And then. You know, I think it's, we have to wait and see what the world's going to present 
how things how things whether they open up and or to what degree they open up yeah or may you know hey it could be like other some of these other pandemics have come where all of a sudden they just like burnt out and pretty much went away yeah and a lot of people go oh that's not going to happen but like i said you can't always predict people wanting to be futurists with this you can even if they're a scientist i'm sorry you can't predict it no. because you've been proven wrong yeah with these so other things times. so many times yeah and that's why people get so and they are arguing because they're on different political spectrums of how they want to argue it's like you got to remember just because somebody says they're a doctor or a scientist it's like I, I i could say i'm a drummer does that mean i'm a good one <laughs> you go to law school and get a law degree does that mean you're a good, good lawyer one. yeah no yeah. there's great lawyers and there's bad lawyers there's great scientists and there's not so good getting the degree is a piece of paper you prove what you are about in any respective field by having a history yeah and over time you know you even take this that guy fauci for example that that guy's been wrong on a lot of things you know he's been around for 40 years in a lot of administrations he's not the be and, and all be all it's funny because he was arguing with one of the senators Rand paul and people are saying oh why why are they listening to him he's like i'm a doctor Rand paul is a doctor and people are forgetting just because he's a senator doesn't mean you know a lot of these guys were either doctors, or most lawyers. of them lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But well, we know that we yeah, most we people, know what a lot. yeah, poison. But the guy with people, people that were against him because of po political affiliation, are they're arguing? I'm like, the guy's a doctor. So him arguing with another doctor is a legitimate um, debate. You're right. It's right. legit. Yeah. If I'm arguing with a doctor, no, I'm a drummer. <laughs> I, whether no matter how much reading, I, even if I have a reasonable level of intelligence and I might have done a lot of homework and stuff, I probably might be able to debate certain people on certain topics to a certain point. But I'm not a professional. That would be areas. fun, though. Kisses drummer arguing with Fauci. <laughs> well, not not him per se, but I'm not afraid to debate people about stuff. I mean, because no. because I do my homework. Yeah, I mean, you, you know your shit. I'm not saying I, I look. At, I'm not saying I know it all, but I would say I know from talking to most of my friends. I always tell them, I go, I know I'm more informed than because I I go, you can do the same thing. You have to just take the time to read stuff and read opposing positions and w watch all different things and then form your opinion. Because at the end of the day, it's an opinion. And you, isn't it better to have a more informed opinion rather than just following like sheeple? <laughs> I don't a lot do of sheep going on. I don't moment. do that. Yeah, I don't do that. So you know, when you when you're behind the kit, is it still you still feel like that little kid? You, you love absolutely. It? Yeah. Um, you know, like I haven't played drums in a while because I'm uh, sometimes I, t I tell a lot of my friends I like to just get away from it. So when I go back and play, I, even though it's a, a little painful, but it's like riding a bike. Yeah. You know, it's muscle memory. It comes back very quickly. And actually, it makes it fun. Yeah. Once you get over a little bit being sore for the first week or so, it's actually more fun. It makes it exciting. It's like getting a new car. Yeah. Getting a new drum. Every time I get a new drum kit, I'm like a little kid. You know, and you collect I, them, right? You got yeah. I got a lot of cool vintage kits. Yeah. In fact, my friend Donnie, he's my friend Donnie Barrett. He's he's a good buddy of mine. He loves vintage drums like I do. And he used to be a really great car painter and detailing and all this. He used to work for Disney, uh, and um, he did all these custom cars and stuff. So he's really good at doing all this fine detail stuff. So he's taken my kits. I mean, down to every nut and bolt, completely apart, and wow. restored a few of them. And you got to see how amazing they look. So I took him over this vintage late '60s sonar kit, and he flipped about that kit today because they're so beautiful. Yep. They're super clean to begin with, and I said he'd never seen them, and I keep surprising him with all these amazing kits that I have. <laughs> and um, I, you know, a lot of them. I play pearl drums, but I love all drums. I mean, I got a lot. Of, I love sonar drums. Cause I have a lot of sonar kits. And my my mate, what, growing up, I played in a band with a guy. Who had an old Rogers kit, a vintage yeah. Rogers kit. Yeah, I have and two he loved old these Rogers. Yeah, I have two old Rogers kits. In fact, he just restored my one kit that it's a 1964 made in Cleveland kit, and he restored that for me. And they, I mean, they were really clean to begin with, right. but they look amazing. I'm taking them with me to Vegas, um, to set up in my house. Um, and I'm going to start taking over some of the... I'm not going to take everything, but a few of the vintage kits I'm going to take. Yeah. I'm going to use them as like people do for art. I'm yeah. going to put some kits in different rooms just oh, set up for displays. But most of them are all like, like small kits, like this. Right. Just little four-piece kits. Oh, but they look so beautiful. Man. Yeah, it's and all vintage. Incredible. And all of them I'm getting restored first, so they're all going to look like pristine. Oh, man, I love it. And you said you got guitars as well? 
Yeah, I got a couple old ones. I'm going to take one of them over there. I'm leaving one here, but I'm taking one over there and a couple Audis over there, too. Yeah. What, what guitars have you got? Oh, guitar. That's yeah. it. Cars. Guitar. No, guitars. Car. Oh, guitars. I've got, let me see. I got a 67 Maple Cap Tally that's mint. Oh. Um, I've got a 61 ES330 yeah. mint. It's like the wine colored. with. It's got P90s in it. Right. And I have a really nice wine colored 74 ES350. Um, with with humbuckers, that one's mint too. Um, I got a sixty four. I've got a sixty four Jaguar, but black one with the black headstock, which is right. the rare one. Rare. Which people think black guitars are rare, but in a Jaguar, it's rare because they're the only one that had the painted headstock. Right. All the other ones are natural. Yep. But the black one, they painted it black and has the gold Fender logo. Yep. That one's really clean. I've got a sixty four. Um, not a junior. It's a. Um, Melody Maker. Oh, okay. Cardinal yep. Red one. Yep. Really cool. I've got a, but a, a like a 71 or 72 gold top, but it was a custom shop one with the okay. with the cream pickups, but the, the words Gibson are in raised letters on relief. They were custom shops. They only made them for two years. They called it a 58, right. even though people say it's really more like a 54. I don't know why they called it. They were called a 58 Les Paul gold top. They came out in 72 and 73. Um, that one's really clean. And when I got it, it was a couple things were wrong. It was missing one of the pots was the wrong date, and the jack plate was wrong. So and the bridge tailpiece was wrong. Right. So my friend, who's a real authority on guitars, this guy, my friend Hero, um, Hero lives in Japan. This guy's an unbelievable wizard about vintage guitars. He can pick up a '58. He'll look at it. And he'll look at every single nut and bolt. He'll tell you if anything's wrong, and he'll know by anything capacitors you name it so he went through that guitar and he told me what was wrong he found me the right bridge plate um the jack plate yep. and the right pot and we resoldered in so now it's back to being correct everything wow. correct dated era correct that one's really killer I'm trying to think of vintage stuff i mean i've got some other a lot of less pauls and sgs you know like some of them are, i got like the tony iomi the signature one yep. that had the stormy silver cross inlays those custom shop one pete townsend one of the the uh, six what was it? It was like a S um, S G Junior. Yeah. No kindly used to play. Those are signature guitars. Man, you got some guitars. I, I got a Joe awesome. Bonamassa gold top. Right. Another other gold top that has like one of those funny um, what do you call it? Where the bridge kind of goes down into the oh the Bigsby. Not the Bigsby. It goes from where it detaches on the butt end of the guitar, and it's kind of a... There's uh, a name for it. Yeah, yeah. Not a harp. Um, but it's got a name for it. Yeah, I remember I don't know the... I can't think of the terminology, but I'm trying to think what other guitars do I have. Like a 78 Strat, just a blonde one. Right. With a, like the black pick card. Man, you've got some nice guitars. Yeah, I got some, but they're all clean. Right. They're all super clean examples. Like, if you see them all, you'd be like, that's... Oh, I got a, one that's really color. It's a, it's a 74 Tobacco Sunburst Standard, Les Paul. Now, if you know that back then, you, you, they only, every, all of them had the um, mini humbuckers. But you, could, you had to custom. or They only made Les Paul Deluxes or Customs. Mm -hmm. If you wanted a standard, you had to special order them back then. And this is the Tobacco Sunburst. Well, it looks like the one Ace Fraley played in yeah. the very early Kiss. Yeah. And it was, it's mint in the original case. I mean, it even has all the hanging tags on it. For when, I mean, if, I, if you see the guitar, it's a time capsule. It'll be like somebody bought it and put it under the bed. It's wow. mint. There's no scratches on the bed, nothing. No belt rash, nothing. It's mint. It's Damn. killer. Um, I found that at a guitar show. I think I paid about maybe four, four and a half grand for that. Right. It's probably worth more now. But yeah. you know that market goes up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's at right now. I couldn't tell you. Do you, do you talk with Joe a lot about all that? Um. Eh, a little bit. Um, I mean, I know he would dig those goods because he appreciates any nice, clean guitar. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any ultra-rare stuff, but all the things I have are all really nice guitars. They're kind of the, I guess I guess you would call those mid-range rare. Yeah. You know, yeah. like a 67 maple, maple cap Telecaster. You know, and it, has the, it still has the ashtray cover. Yeah. Oh, it does, yeah. Yeah, those were always missing. Yeah. I don't have the original case for it, but it's, it's killer. What color? Like that whitewashed blonde oh, color. Yeah, and it's light. It's light and it's mint. Oh. It's mint. someday I'll have. I'll let you look at them yeah. all. I'll bring. Yeah. I'll just someday I'll bring a couple of them over and let you look at them. Like because you got to see that. That's a killer guitar, and I know you would like the gold top, but that standard is killer. Wow. The ES330 is cool too, but most people want 
They don't want P90s. Yeah. They'd rather have the... Um, they rather have an ES335. Yeah, yeah. Instead of 330, because they want the humbuckers. Yeah. Do you know that one kid? Um, he's, he's from South Carolina. He plays the 335 all the time. He originally was, oh, I have a killer, a 73 SG special. Those are cool. They had the mini black humbuckers in them, and they have a really small picker, not a sandwich one, just right. black, and it's real small. They only did it that way for that one year that they looked like that. And that kid that I'm talking about, that's what he was using, a, a 73 for his main guitar originally. He's only about 21 now. He's amazing. Black, black kid? No. That I know that kid. That kid's right. big, heavy set kid. Guy, yeah. He's great. No, yeah. this kid. Oh, you gotta look him up. You have a you have a computer on there or no? Yeah, on the other one, but it's. You gotta see what's this kid's name. Um, you don't have amps as well, do you? I've got um, a '76 Marshall uh, half stack. <laughs> you know, head yeah. and, and cabinet. Yeah. Um, it's an angle front, and then I have a um, around maybe a '76 or five. Uh, um, um, what do you call it? Fender. What's the one? It's about this big. Oh, like, like something like that? Yeah, but it's an older one. Oh, what, what's that one called? What model is that? This is a Viberbird. No, I don't Viber. I have the one on top. Oh, the Viberlux. Not Viberlux. It's, it looks like that. It's called okay. the... Uh, what's the Viber other? King? No. No. Um, if you say it, I'll know it. But it's uh, like a 76. This is a, this is a Dumble. The Dumble amplifier. You know Dumble? Howard Dumble? Oh, is it like modified? Yeah, he's like the, the god of guitar. I, I like Fender amp. But, you, you know, I found for guys to play a Strat or a Tele and a Fender amp, you got to be good. Yeah. Because they don't, you can't cheat them. That's why I love Strat players, because you can't cheat a Strat. You have to have articulation and intonation. A lot of guys like to play really, you know, soaked, wet sounds. Yeah. Through a Marshall, which is, I mean, I love a Les Paul and a Marshall too, but I found the guys that play Les Pauls is a different kind of a sound. What, what are they? I mean, I'm sorry, Strats. Right. What are they using in Kiss? Les Pauls. Les Pauls. They've always been Les Paul and Marshall kind. Marshall, of. Marshall. No, not Marshalls. Paul uses. Um, he uses. Um, Tommy uses Hughes and Kettner. Oh, okay. And then Paul uses Engel. Oh, okay. Yep. German yep. company. Yep. They're both German companies. Yeah. yeah. Engel and Hughes and Kettner. They're both good amps. Yeah. And Gene, I think, I don't know what he's, he, I don't know if he's used back to using SVT, but he uses his own bass as some. Um, Do you get input with the stage show on that, or are you just like, ah, whatever you guys want? Um, yeah, we all do. When we were doing production, we'd all kind of give input. Yeah, we. Yep. I mean, like I said, I know, look, it's their band. They know, nobody knows what Kiss is supposed to be better than them. But Tommy and I, we know what Kiss is supposed to be also right. because we yeah. grew up as fans yep. and we get it. And we've been around by them and groomed by them. And we totally know, you know, we've learned to get inside their heads and know where they, how they think and come up with stuff we know that they'll like or agree with and be receptive to. But Gene totally, he, I mean, Gene's very cool to me. He listens to anything I have to say, all my opinions about everything all the time. Oh, yeah. Totally, totally cool. Because I think the main thing is a lot of times people are protective of people trying to voice too much opinion because they start thinking this, but Gene knows I have no agenda. He knows when I'm saying something, it's because I just want it to be good. I just want it to be better. Right. I don't, it's not an Eric agenda. It's a kiss agenda. It's a show agenda. Yeah. He, he knows that, that I'm sincere and genuine in that way. And I think that's why I have their respect because I don't have an agenda about just me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I always think of like, how can the show be better? What can we do that makes it cooler? Whether it's an idea for anybody. And I come up with stuff for guys to do in the band all the time yeah. or try to think of things, whether it's ever implemented or even tried is a different story. But I know they'll always listen. And, and you, that's it seems like you guys haven't held back with stage production and that over the years. Oh, no, like, it's over the top. Crazy. Man, I'm going to have to get to a show at some point. I you what? To, like, come to a show at some point. You should. Well, you know, I almost was going to ask you guys when we played Staples Center, and then I just didn't see you guys, and I didn't think about it. I was almost going to say. Oh man, I was I was itching to ask, but I didn't want to. You should have. I, I would have. I was like, I was like, ah, you know, you're in LA. Everyone wants tickets. I kind of thought, yeah, I'm not going to bug Eric for tickets. He's got to deal with all that shit. But um, I got to oh, call man. my I got to call my friend Brent because it's bugging me. I got to make see if you've ever heard that kid. Um, that I'm talking about. He's the one that turned me on to him, Brent Woods. Where's he from? Brent, 
little kid that he played. He's from North Carolina, South Carolina. He's like a heavy set, kind of chunkier kid. He's got long hair, wears a hat. He's oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, that kid. He plays the red. Well, he was playing SG, but and now he sings. He plays at ES335. Yeah, and he sings as well. He's got that great voice. Yeah, he's smoking guitar. Yeah, player. yeah, yeah. What's his name? That kid is so good. I'm sorry to call Brett and see if he's going to tell me who it is. Because he's the one how I discovered him. He saw him. He played in Chris Robinson's band. You have reached the voice. Well, I heard that. <laughs> I know the guy you mean. Um, Chris Robinson, band guitarist. Here's some information. Not Audley Freed. Oh, Audley Freed's amazing, too. I've played with him before. He's killer. You know Audley Freed? Yeah, yeah. Smoking. Remember he was in that band Cry of Love? Mm -hmm. I saw him with that. He was smoking. They're not listening to the other guy. Who's the... Oh, Rich Robinson, Mark Ford. He's good. Audley Freed. Jeff sees Chris Robinson. Neil, John Mayer, Ryan... Uh, I can see the guy. He's, um... He wasn't out here that long ago, oh, I feel. Oh, I know. It's something King. Marcus oh, King. King. Marcus King. Yes. That's it. I came to me. Yeah, Marcus King. Awesome. That kid is fucking great. How old is he? Like 21 or 20 or something. <laughs> He's fucking great. He's an old soul. Right. You hear the kid play from the time he was younger, you go, yeah. that's got... Yeah, how about that little kid from Australia? That kid, Taj? Oh, yeah. Taj? Yeah. You know that kid? Yeah. He's like 10. He came to our Christmas rehearsal earlier this year and jammed with us. What? He jammed with Gene and Tommy and I. Paul just kind of sat there and watched him. But he, he was kind of tripping out because he loves Gary Moore when he found out I played with Gary Moore. Yeah. But he um, he just played like ACDC and something. We just jammed with him. Right. But the kid can play. When when you jam, what do you like to jam on nowadays? Do you have anything? Do you like to stay away from all that stuff and go in a different direction? Well, or? I like more... Well, I like like Humble Pie. That's my favorite right. kind of band. Yeah. Or I like bands like Free, Humble yeah. Pie, Bad Company. Like if I was going to be in my own band and have a, that's the kind of band I'd want to be. Yeah. Because yeah. I like that style with blues bass. You know, like I love I love Rod Stewart. Yeah. With Jeff Beck Group or or Steve, faces and stuff, right? Yeah, Steve Marriott and then Paul Rogers. I like those are my favorite singers. Those guys, that yeah. style of music. Yeah. Blues, bass, hard rock. You know, I like Stones, but I like heavier. Yeah. I love Humble Pie because I wanted a little more raucous, a little more weight to the music. Yeah. Like early Zeppelin. Yeah. It can't beat that. Yeah. You know, um, especially when they did blues stuff because yeah. I like more blues based stuff. Have you ever been in a band where they've just saw it, they've just said, Eric, you gotta, you're playing too loud, man. <laughs> uh, not really because I know how to play right. toned down. Right, the room. Well, because I played with my dad as a kid. Oh, so when right. I played with him, I would literally, I mean, I tell people, I'd literally play, I would play this, I played match grip, but I would play traditional grip, I played both ways. I would play like this with my dad because I had better control for dynamics. I would literally put my elbow on my left leg and I'd be playing like this. <laughs> I literally don't even lift my arm up because yeah. that way I wasn't, I wasn't putting any body or weight into it. I was playing, because my dad used to say, use your fingers and your wrists. You know, so, you know, he would tell me these things as a kid. Of course, sometimes it's not fully making sense until you get older and then you start understanding, oh, that's why he was telling me right. that. Because you watch other great drummers and yeah. you see like, oh, yeah, that's what they're doing. Did your dad get to see you? Like, Yeah, he saw me play with, um, he saw me play with Alice Cooper a bunch of times, Gary oh, Moore. Wow. He saw me play with Badlands. He must have been just Black like Sabbath. Kiss. <laughs> he didn't get to see me play with Brian May because um, we didn't play in America. Right. And my dad passed away like 14 years ago, but um, we didn't play in America. That tour with Brian May was 98. We only did one gig in the U.S. We did a. We flew all the way over from Spain just to do this radio promotion for Blaze Radio in Chicago. And Brian was so mad because they told him we were going to play in this big stage. They had us on a stage in the parking lot. Oh, he was so mad. Um and understandably, because yeah. he made that special trip. Right. In the middle of the tour, we left the European tour to go there to do this because they thought it was going to promote, you know, for the label. Yeah. They fucking, they totally fucked him. My two friends from Cleveland, though, they drove over from Cleveland to come and see me play with them because they loved Queen and they wanted to see me play, you know, with Brian May because we were all Queen fans yeah. growing up. How was, what, how was it for your dad? Was he just like over the moon proud? Yeah, well, he didn't like rock and roll at all growing right. up. He hated it. And then, you know, we say, but my friend, we were just talking last week, my friend Mike, the one I told you we started playing since we were like 15. Yeah. He goes, yeah, your dad used to say, well, you guys are barking up the wrong tree. And he remembered that exact saying because that's what my dad used to say. But, in all fairness to my dad, because yeah. I used to get mad, I used to think he wasn't really being supportive because he hated rock and roll. But yeah. then I thought, 
Eric, you had your double bass sonar drum kit in his living room with two big <laughs> speaker cabinets like that, you know, huge cabinets yep. with your stereo behind you, and I'd oh my play, God. play along to records blasting in the and have the double bass kit so in the living room. That shit. <laughs> and we used to jam in the living room with the band. They'd come over and we'd play there sometimes. So what's it what's it been like? Do you remember the first time you went back home? To hometown and played a show, a big show. First gig I did back home ever was playing. We played Cleveland Public Hall. With, I was in Black Sabbath. Was that just like? Oh yeah, I was tripping <laughs> because I'm like, oh my god, I had this was early '86. I had just moved there to LA in like November of '83. So we're talking. Let me see, '84, '85. Yeah, I mean, it only had been <laughs> two and a half years. Oh my god! And then you were Black Sabbath. Yeah, not even. Not even two, two years, a little over two years, maybe two years and three months or something, four months. I had just moved there a, a few years, and then all of a sudden, boom, I come back, and I'm in Black Sabbath. I know a lot of people that there, I think, were kind of really shocked because they didn't know. I don't think they realized that I had it in me. Right. I really don't think they did. And I don't mean that begrudgingly. I no. just don't think they didn't no, realize. Like I don't think they realized... The, the, the potential because they didn't realize I just was inexperienced right. in playing you know you have to learn how to play hard rock at a hard high volume for a long period of time and play in front of a big crowd that's a learning curve like anything yeah it's yeah. like you, you you don't just all of a sudden go play for Major League Baseball the Yankees you you most of the time people play high school college and go in minor leagues and work their way up to that I didn't really play in the minor leagues. I didn't play in cover bands. I played in original bands, and, and then I was in one original band out in L.A. Then I joined Lita Ford, like, not even a year after I'd been in L.A. I got in her band, and then I'm in Black Sabbath a year after that. So it just went bam, like, quick. And, um, and I didn't realize it at the time because you're just, you're just following your instincts. You're yeah. kind of living off instinct and intuition. Yeah. Yeah. I had no clue of how, what was going to happen or what, how it was going to manifest or what was going to go on. And then when I looked back, I started realizing, wow, you've been so blessed because look how many people have been struggling for all these years and can't get a gig or they don't even get very, they don't, you know, gigs are far and few between and you just went bam, right up the ladder quick. Like once I was off and running, I was off and running. So I know, I mean, it's not that I didn't put the work in yeah, and the obviously. dedication and I sacrificed a lot of stuff for it. Yeah. You know, people don't realize all the sacrifice you make with family, relationships. I mean, you sacrifice so much to try to do what you have passion for. Yeah. And that's what you, that's, that's the give and take. Was um, having a, a being able to do background vocals and sing was that a big, big uh, thing in the pocket to be able to bring that? Well, out? they didn't know I sang when I joined the band. They oh, didn't really? know that. That's something they discovered later. Because I didn't really sing it. I sang a little bit of backgrounds with Lita, not much, just like yeah. you know, gang type stuff. And I mean, I could sing, always could carry a tune, but I didn't really ever think of myself like you know, there was no background vocals in Black Sabbath in Badlands. They didn't have me sing, and Paul Stanley didn't have me sing in a solo band, right. or Alice Cooper, I didn't sing either. So um, once, I mean, I could sing a little bit, because I always would sing along the records and stuff, like we all do, everybody sings yeah. along the stuff. Yeah. And you could tell, oh, he can carry a tune a little bit, but I was probably a little bit too shy. But then I knew that the other drummers had sang, and I thought, well, you got to try at least. So I, I remember said in first rehearsals, what do you want me to sing like backgrounds? They're like, um, okay. I remember Gene saying, well, can you sing this part? And it'd be like, and be like, no, that's too low. Or how about this part? He goes, okay, I normally do that part, but you just sing that part, I'll do the other one. And he, they, they just worked to me in, until they found a comfort zone. Okay, he can sing these parts, and right. that's a better range for him. And on that song, that part's too low or too high. And yeah. Gene would you know, accommodate, and they kind of you know, helped me learn how to do it, in a way, yeah. by, by just, you know, I just kind of just did it and started by just singing along and and um they didn't realize oh he can sing so by the end of that first tour i was going to start maybe start singing lead but i got i remember i was going to sing black diamond for the first time at a show we were going they were going to have me sing it in uh, phoenix arizona right but we played out at this place orange pavilion in bakersfield or whatever it is out there san bernardino yeah and i got really sick with the flu I was throwing up before the show, and th I had a bucket on stage, and I was throwing up after the show. I was really sick. So the next day, by then, I was wiped out, and there's no way I was going to be able to sing. Yeah. So I ended up not singing, but I ended up singing later on and yeah. started doing it. You enjoy it now? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, put it this way. As long as I'm well-rested, 
and I can hit the notes. Or, you know, that's why I said I'm, you have to be disciplined. Yeah. When you sing, you have to think about how you treat yourself on the road differently as if you yeah. just play drums. Yeah, right. You know, because you can lose your voice and still play drums. Yeah. yeah. But I know there's a lot of responsibility for me to sing because I sing all the high harmonies on all the songs. Wow. Which is what Paul, I sing all Paul's high harmonies on every song. Yeah. Which is what he used to do. I do those high parts. Yeah. And so, you know, I got to do it. So Damn. I treat it, you know, serious. You're doing a hell of a lot back there, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we got to wrap it up. It's yeah, already 11. Yeah, we do, man. I can talk to you all night. Thank I know. I'm a, I'm a jabber jai, as you can man, tell. Man, I can't thank you enough. This was awesome. I've been trying to get you on the show. Just oh, no problem. I, wonder, I felt bad awesome. because I know you asked me before, and then when I saw you the other day, go, hey, if you want me to do that, I'll do it because I know I had told you before, and I, I, don't, I didn't want you to think that I'm a flake or just telling no, you, yeah, no yeah. Problem, man. I mean, I knew it was just a timing thing. We'd eventually work it out. Do you do it mostly for guitar players or what? We do it everyone. We've had, yeah, we've had our, our, everyone from Albert Lee to Lukatha. Oh yeah, I should have uh, I should have you do some of my other friends like Derek Sherinian. Oh, I love Derek's Derek doing a solo Sherinian. right now. Simon Phillips is producing it and playing yep. drums on it. But Derek, you should have Derek do it. He does it. Normally it's Scott Henderson and Bruce Foreman. Scott Henderson from obviously Tribal Tech and all that stuff, um, and Bruce Foreman, who's more bebop jazz. I know so, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. So we do it with you. Yeah, they'll come here. We normally we've actually been doing it through Skype. Oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah. you could have um, Derek lives over in Burbank. He would do it because he's going to be yeah. promoting his solo album coming up. So I'm sure he'd Love like it, to man. do it. I mean, I have a lot of friends that would probably like to. We do got it. a we got a lot of fans around the world now. We've been going. We're 400 shows in. Oh really? So yeah, what kind of how many? What's their average viewership? I think we're like a, over 100k or something oh really that's yeah. great yeah we've been building it for a long time and oh, that's great yeah if you don't mind i can um I'll, i can if you want i'll i'll give you a few of my friends names if you want to yeah. ask them to do it like yeah. jeff scott soto you know he used to sing in I Germany jeff. as well. yeah jeff would be great too he's a yeah. nice guy he's a good buddy of mine he'd do it brent woods would be good he plays with sebastian bach now, but brent's done a lot of stuff and he's producing bands and doing stuff now he's a good friend of mine really good guitar player He'd be a great... All those guys would be great. Yep. Derek would be great because Derek's, you know, like a keyboard player's yeah, keyboardist. Yeah, You know, and um, he's always had a different... He approaches good keyboards more like... He loves Van Halen and all right. that. So he approaches guitar keyboard like he's a, a guitar player. Yeah, which yeah is I've what's seen cool. him Derek play, yeah. But Frankie DeVito told us a cool story about you. Frank? Yeah, when you when you told him that don't I'll bring a kit and you set it up for him and stuff at a gig. Yeah, I did. Yeah, he was like, man, I turn up and kiss his drummer's. I did. I set up my kit. I brought his drums for him. <laughs> yeah, I brought him one. Of, I think I don't know if it was which kit was it. My Rogers kit. I don't remember which one we brought. What him. a great guy, man. Uh, oh yeah, he's, he's awesome. cool. Oh yeah, he was. We had him on. I think we had him on once or twice, but we you know we cut the show up for about. You know, so we'll have two or three shows out of it. And he was one of our most popular. Everyone fucking loved him. Oh, he's the best. He's, and you know, he got those fun stories. You know, oh, Buddy Rich. God. You know, those are the ones I like. And yeah. hanging out with all the old jazz drummers. Because, look, I have a romantic view of that 50s, 60s jazz bebop guys and all the big band drummers and Las Vegas and yeah. that whole scene. I mean, maybe that's a part of the reason why I've always wanted to live in Las Vegas because as a kid, I always wanted to be a big band drummer. And, you know, because a couple of the guys that lived in Cleveland at that time in the 70s, they went to Vegas and two of the two brothers, they played with Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, wow. And one of them played with Count Basie, then Sammy Davis, and then his younger brother played with Sammy Davis. And uh, they both back, live back in Cleveland now. But, you know, as a kid, I was thinking, oh, my God, they moved to Vegas, and he's playing with Sammy Davis Jr., <laughs> he's playing all those big casinos, and, you That's know, huge. it's a romantic yeah. point of view, and the when Rat you don't Pac-Man, really know, I mean, Vegas is cool, but, you know, especially old Vegas, but um, I think there's a part of me that likes the, oh, yeah. likes that vibe. I love that vibe. That Rat man. Pack vibe and all that stuff, I love it. And the house that I bought is totally like That's, that it? an That's old it? Rat Pack style house. Oh, it's totally. Love it, it looks exactly like those old style homes. It's very, it, like they said, it's called a Hollywood Regency, the style. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, if you go to Bel Air, yeah. old Bel Air homes, that's what my house looks yeah, like. Yeah. You know, it's white, traditional, white looking, California looking style yeah. home. Love it, man. I gotta awesome, go, I'm going to go gas my car up. Because that way, I, I got to do another one of these tomorrow. I got to do it with Nico McBrain. Let me get you to sign the guitar. Thank you.